The Culture Blueprint 1.5, written and performed by Robert Richman. It was a year since I had published The Culture Blueprint 1.0 to a limited quote-unquote beta audience. I thought of the book like software. It needed to be tested first. The responses astounded me. The first reader said he was literally in tears with the possibility this created for a business. Others would ask if they could buy copies for their staff or interview me for their blogs. And yet, I considered the book a failure. No matter how many positive comments came in, only one thing mattered to me. Actual results. And I wasn't hearing enough. I heard a lot of hope, passion, enthusiasm, and drive, but I didn't hear enough success stories for me to take it out of beta. I decided to focus on my consulting, rolling up my sleeves and doing the work. Companies would hire me to do a culture due diligence. I would spend several days talking and observing, then compiling a report to show what's really going on. I would end it with clear action steps, and then I would rarely hear anything back. Leaders found it useful and insightful, but where were the sweeping changes, the transformation of culture? I was so frustrated with both my book and my consulting that I almost gave up on both of them. That's when I realized, ironically, that giving up is exactly what it would take to make it work. I got a call from a conservative older gentleman who heard my speech, read my book, and wanted to bring me in to help them figure out their vision and their values, all within a day. I told him it's impossible. The process I outlined takes at least six months. Besides, even if we could do it in a day, there was no way we could get his team of eight highly contentious and passionate businessmen to agree. But he was determined, and his desire inspired me to throw out my playbook and start fresh. I took an approach that allowed the team to guide the culture instead of me. I used principles of self-organization rather than focusing on me as the guru who knows all things culture. To my surprise, they had their vision and values by the end of the day. I decided to change up my business model. I no longer wanted to be the guru of culture. In fact, to be successful, I wanted to disappear. I wanted the leaders and the teams to get the credit, because if they could do it for themselves, then it would last. Now when I facilitate, they don't talk about me afterward. They talk about how much they love the process and how empowered they feel as leaders. I successfully disappeared and let the culture take center stage. I realized the Culture Blueprint 1.0 was not a failure. In fact, it's a strong operating system for any company. What was missing until now was the installer of the software. Thanks to these experiences, as well as my partnership with the master of emerging culture, Daniel Mezik, author of The Culture Game, I realized that a business owner cannot mandate a change. It must be done collaboratively with the team, and I will show you how. The biggest update to version 1.5 is the chapter, The Installer. If you only read this one chapter, it will upgrade any change you are planning at your company. Culture Blueprint 1.0 was a solid piece of software for the organization, but the installer was buggy. I'm proud to say it's been fixed, and it is safe to use enterprise-wide. Acknowledgements. First, I have to thank Tony Shea, CEO of Zappos, for betting on me. Before he hired me, I had no experience in corporate culture or launching a product offering like Zappos Insights, but he and Aaron Magnus saw my passion and determination. My world has never been the same. The Zappos Insights team helped to create the learning environment where I obtained many of the insights for this book. We had an epic time together launching a startup within Zappos. Thanks, Missy, Marie, Andy, Jenna, Corey, Mig, Rocco, Renee, Valerie, Natalie, Danny, Elia, Pam, Trish, John, Squeezy, Crystal, and Mike. 
And a big thank you to goals coach Augusta Scott, who has created breakthroughs for so many people. And a huge thank you to my original partner in crime, Donovan Robertson. I couldn't have done any of this without you, man. Another big thank you to another Insights member who has been with me through many ventures, Beth Curlin. Thank you for constantly backing me up and being a partner in so many ways through life. Dad, thank you for your constant encouragement to me as a writer and as a mentor in business. Bill, thank you for paving the way. Thank you to Dave Logan, who's opened up so many doors and has been a great friend and mentor. Daniel Mezik, a true master of culture who has influenced so much of my thinking. Michael Margolis, for all your support and keeping me from taking things too seriously. Joey Coleman, thank you for loading on the pressure through the years. Charles Plank, you're always inspiration through everything, no matter what I do. I never would have started this without Chance Barnett's writing hack. He said, the one trick I'm going to give you is the one you don't want to hear. Just write it. Thank you, Chance. And thank you for the information, product, inspiration, Eben Pagan, Mike Koenigs, and Pam Hendrickson. Thank you for all the great feedback from Michael Liskin, Todd Staples, Cliff Michaels, Kathleen O'Malley, and Carrie Kish. Your ass-kicking is priceless. Introduction. All business innovation seems counterintuitive before it becomes common sense. Just imagine yourself running a factory at the turn of the 20th century. Your workers are cranking out widgets, and you're happy to have them for 12 hours a day at a minimum cost. You're proud of your efficiency, and you feel good knowing that you're giving jobs to people who would otherwise be in poverty. Then one day you hear about a factory that is giving its people paid time off, vacations, breaks. The idea sounds shocking. What? How could you pay people not to work? You're losing efficiency. And of course, you would be right in the short term. However, in the long term, that brave factory would experience fewer injuries, lower turnover, and greater morale than any other company. Today, this policy is so common that it's not a best practice, it's the law. We're now at a similar turning point. We're going through a big shift away from a system that was focused completely on metrics and into one where performance is driven by focusing on the people who deliver it. A purely metrics-focused business is the equivalent of a sports team watching the scoreboard throughout the game. But as we all know, it's actions and behaviors that drive points, baskets, touchdowns, and runs, not a focus on the score. Companies like Zappos, Google, and Apple have shifted from metrics as the key focus, while still tracking them intensely, to values. Note that each of them has quite different values. Zappos is based on service and happiness. Apple is based on design and excellence. Google is based on academics and engineering. Each culture is different, and yet each company operates from the same key principles. If you've read about these companies, you may have heard about their approaches and their techniques. You may have tried to duplicate these, but the truth is that every business is unique, and it's their homegrown culture that drives their success, not the other way around. Most work on corporate culture has been in the form of academic exploration, case studies, and analysis of tools and techniques. The culture blueprint is actually a systematic guide to designing and transforming a culture. Through the years, I've coached business leaders from various industries on how to improve their company cultures. I have been fortunate to work alongside world-changing companies like Google, Toyota, GM, and Eli Lilly, offering presentations and consulting. During these experiences, I have seen certain patterns emerge. I have learned what works and what doesn't, and I've accurately identified the leverage points where the magic of a culture shift can happen. Ultimately, culture is about people, and people cannot be controlled. That said, like an architect of a house, you have an opportunity to design the structure 
that will create an experience. And that experience will shape the behaviors and values that ultimately drive the actions that get you results. You are about to discover the blueprint that will enable you to design this experience. Since version 1.0, I've been asked, why a blueprint? Why architecture? You can't really design a culture because the people are in control. That is absolutely true. The same way the architect of a house cannot plan a happy family. The design comes in creating the optimal setting, flow, and support to allow people to thrive. Other changes include tightened language, a new team-building section that integrates the previous extra credit, a page on the types of values you can use has been included, as well as a section on why agreement is the linchpin of culture. Who is this book for? This book has several different possible audiences, all of whom can use it as a key in their everyday work. Executives looking to create a full-scale culture shift. Managers who want to efficiently deliver results while having a great time. Anyone in an organization who cares about the people and wants to create a great place to work. Consultants and coaches who advise companies on management and leadership. Startup founders who realize the culture drives revenue, productivity, and happiness, and want to get it right from the start. Educators, teachers, and theorists who want to learn what's really going on underneath the surface in most organizations. Venture capitalists and advisory board members who want to give their investment companies an extra edge over their competition. If you fit one of the above categories, I believe you will gain great benefit from the years of knowledge and research that I have distilled in this book. The strategies, processes, and techniques I describe I gathered primarily by studying the success of Zappos and using its culture as a model. It's number one in customer service, as rated by American Express customers in 2011, and number six best place to work by Fortune Magazine 2011. I also have met with hundreds of the world's best companies, including Google, Eli Lilly, Intuit, Coca-Cola, Patagonia. Problems this book will solve. Almost all problems come back to culture issues. Below are specific issues we will address. This book will teach you how to scale a great workplace as the company grows with systems. Keep workers engaged, beyond engaged, world-changing teams you don't have to motivate. Keep morale high. You won't even need the word morale after this. Get work done while having a great time. Work will become play. Make innovation cheap and easy for everyone. You'll learn the key to innovation no one is talking about. Create a place where everyone feels ownership of the company so you can relax and focus on the future. Keep behavior professional without long manuals and policies. You'll learn the 99% rule. Keep turnover extremely low so competition will not be able to steal your talent. Utilize all the hidden talent of the organization. There's more energy in your organization than you know. Keep customer service top of mind for employees at all levels. Customer service is the new edge, and you'll see why. You may think your culture is screwed up. Okay, but we're not going to focus on that. For one, asking the why question almost always ends up being about a search for a single answer. But there is no single answer. A less than optimal culture is always the result of many factors that operate together as a system, and they're usually invisible. Everything else is conjecture. I've seen these techniques work regardless of a company's size, industry, demographics, or past history. So how about we leave the old story behind and focus on the solution? Quote, you can never change things by fighting the existing reality. To change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. Quote by Buckminster Fuller. 
As you build this new model, whatever you need to know from the past will emerge. The two kinds of conversations. Which are you in? In my thousands of conversations about culture, I realized all of them fit in either one of two categories. The first is a conversation of limitations. I hear all about the reasons something cannot change, or why the CEO will block it, or why the ship is hard to move. These are all valid points, and I actually think it's a good idea to get them all out onto the table. Go ahead and rant. And when you're done, you're ready for the second type of conversation, the conversation of possibilities. This is when you go into a what-if state of mind. This is when you're open to new options. It's when you take a beginner's mindset and start to play with what you do have because you have a very long list of assets if you list them. Culture change in compressed time. The culture blueprint is a step-by-step process that will save you 10 years of time. Here you will benefit from decades worth of lessons learned from the best companies in the world. You won't have to guess or start from scratch. The best change of all. You won't actually see it until you take the actions. But the best part of this is that your home and personal life will completely change as a result of these practices. This is what Chris Widener, Director of Customer Service for Jay Hilburn, said after leaving the Zappos Insights Culture Boot Camp and making changes at his organization. Quote, The positive changes didn't stay at the office alone. My wife immediately noticed the change in me. Instead of coming home exhausted and needing some me time, I'm energized from the successes of the day and energized to see my family. End quote. The installer. The culture blueprint is an operating system to run your culture. However, if the installation process of this software is not done well, then it doesn't matter how robust it is. This section is all about how to carefully consider that installation. Two of the core principles you'll read about this in the book are, one, co-create. You can never shape culture alone. Two, opt in. Anything mandatory or forced will be met with resistance, whereas anything with invitation attracts the right people. These are so fundamental and valuable that if you just get these two concepts, you could put the rest of the book down. I recommend reading this section again after you've read the rest of the book. I first realized how vital these were when I was at a company that was about to roll out a process based on the Lean Startup, a popular book in the entrepreneurial community. But people really wanted it, and yet I noticed they were resisting it. The reason was because the way they did it was by A, forcing everyone to read the book, and B, telling them how it would be rolled out. This generated a lot of resentment. First, you can't make anyone read a book. The worst you could do is fire them for not reading it, and will it really come to that? Second, no one knows the business better than those actually doing the work. So for the leadership to mandate the process for carrying out a new process gave no credit to the experience and insight of the people. The result was resentment and resistance. All this could have been avoided through principles and actions, and you can take these actions with this book or any other change you're looking to make. 1. Start with the real issue. Forcing a book is really forcing a solution without first discussing the problem or the desire. What is the real challenge? What do we want to solve? If you discuss this openly, inviting those who would like to discuss it, then you may get valuable information. The result of this is not meant to be a solution. The result is fantastic questions. Einstein said if he had an hour to figure out a problem, he would spend most of the time defining the problem. A clearly defined problem paves the way for an elegant solution. Two, discuss the book in the context of the problem. 
Now that you've defined the problem, you can ask this group, does it make sense for all of us to read the culture blueprint? Of course, I'm biased, so I believe it will be quite helpful for any culture vision you have. That said, I am much more dedicated to your relationship to your team and your company than I am to selling more books. If your team is empowered to choose for themselves, then you've already made a big step in creating a strong culture. Three, allow for self-organization. As you'll read, there are many options in the culture blueprint, so many that you may be overwhelmed. This is where your team or coworkers can help. What resonates the most? Who has the passion for what? What would be safe to try? What has the highest leverage and is the best investment of our time and resources? You'll find that you don't have to carry the burden of answering these questions. In fact, if you do, you'll likely get it wrong. Your team and your company are not only there to help, but if they care, then they have a strong desire to help. You'll be increasing engagement by having them help with the decision. In groups larger than a team, I highly recommend two resources that will make a tremendous difference in creating change. The first is open space technology. See www.cultureblueprint.com resources. It's an open space meeting format that will help you get the best ideas from the most passionate and inspired people. The second is open agile adoption. Also see the resources section. While it is focused on the agile software community, the principles work for any social change as a rite of passage. It has been tested with Fortune Top 100 workplaces, and the results have been outstanding. How this book got started. It was the summer of 2008. Had I been paying attention to the economy, I would have seen that a recession was coming. But my eyes were on a dot-com CEO who was more giving than any I had ever known. Tony Shea, the CEO of Zappos.com, was known for tweeting his location to employees, inviting them out for drinks, and meeting up with customers wherever he traveled. Their headquarters in Henderson, Nevada, near Las Vegas, was becoming known as a virtual Disneyland of corporate happiness. More than any other company in the world, Zappos was famous for putting its employees first, a trend that I knew would explode. Meanwhile, customers would rave and blog and tweet about the outstanding level of customer service. I sent Tony a copy of Tribal Leadership, a breakthrough book on culture I was marketing for the authors, Dave Logan, John King, and Haley Fisher-Wright. Tony loved it and tweeted to the world that the book codified much of what Zappos had been doing instinctively. The authors and I then went to Las Vegas to visit with Zappos's executive team to teach the deeper layers of tribal leadership. Afterward, Tony invited us to the merchandising group's happy hour that night. But before we went, he said, we have a half hour to kill. You're welcome to wander the halls and talk to anyone you'd like. That offer blew me away. Tony knew we were journalists, and anything his staff of a thousand could say would go on the record. But that was the point. He regarded each employee as a culture ambassador for the brand. Most companies will only let the press converse with trained representatives who are limited to the talking points. But Zappos didn't even have a PR department. It was remarkable. Later, the quote-unquote happy hour we attended could hardly be called typical. When you use that expression in corporate America, it usually means forced awkwardness with coworkers after work. But instead of taking a time away from people's families, Zappos starts its happy hours early, at 4.30, and it was more like a party than a simple cocktail hour. Drinks flowed, video skits played on a big screen, and karaoke soon followed. The bar was packed, and you could tell that everyone wanted to be there. It was a total blast. While the happy hour was ridiculously fun, I knew from my earlier conversation with the ambassadors 
that Zappos was not just all fun and games. It was really more like family, and you could feel it both inside and outside the office. Then I came across an entry in their 2008 culture book. This is a compendium of unedited submissions from employees along with photos from the year. You can get one at www.culturebook.org. Story after story showed me how the company was changing employees' lives for the better. After reading one particular entry, I knew I wanted to be a part of the Zappos culture in one way or another. I realized how I could contribute to the larger story when Tony mentioned his idea for Zappos Insights. Zappos was already being bombarded with requests for tours, meetings, and information about the company's processes. Everyone wanted to learn how they created such great customer service while making their employees happy. Tony saw a business idea in meeting these constant outside requests. The only problem was that the company had no idea how to launch this type of business. They knew e-commerce. They knew how to create a direct-to-consumer brand. But this would be an information product play as a business-to-business -business unit, and they had no experience in the field. Fortunately, I'd been fascinated with this type of business. The margins are very high, and if the content is good, it can have a big impact and spread fast. Zappos had previously tried to launch a video site with monthly subscriptions, but it flatlined. After I shared my advice on new product launches and membership websites, Tony asked me if I would help them launch it. Together with Donovan Robertson, I was tasked with relaunching Zappos Insights with one strict caveat, no use of Zappos resources. That meant no web developers, no marketing resources, nothing from the consumer brand. The idea was to launch this as a skunkworks project, somewhat below the radar, so that it had no chance of disturbing their consumer goods business. So there we were, essentially about to launch a brand new division of Zappos that first and foremost had to incorporate an amazing culture. It had the potential for success, but with limited resources and support, one key question remained. How do we even get started? We knew the people were the key component of the Zappos culture, so we decided to start by hosting a two-day event. Of course, this could not just be a bunch of PowerPoint slides in a hotel room. This had to be a Zappos experience. So instead, we brought outside managers and leaders into the Zappos family by taking them through the office, putting them on the phones with call reps, allowing them to ask questions of our managers, and taking them out to dinner and drinks. We even took them to Tony's house to hang out and have fun. We called it a culture boot camp, offering them a living lab where they could experience and experiment with culture in real time. Our hope was that everyone would love the content, which we could then put online. This was our entire plan. How else would we get new members? We were surprised when the feedback showed that while the content was simply good, the experience was mind-blowing. They said they did not fully believe how much change was possible until they got there. From that day forward, the plan changed. We would not start it as a content company. We would start it as an experience company. It didn't take too long after that to realize that we were doing more than just creating experiences. We were a belief-changing company that happened to sell corporate training. But wait, what beliefs were we changing? We were sharing our idea that change was possible and that whatever you want to create, you can create. You just have to believe it will work. People who did not believe it would come to Zappos Insights and experience it for themselves. Here's the feedback from one man's experience. I just wanted to say that I truly believe that Zappos is changing the world. I envision that in 5, 10, 15, 20 years' time, many companies will have adopted an open, honest, friendly, and work-hard, play-hard culture in their workplace, 
following Zappos' lead. Rob Johnson of Clear Channel Radio. While we had a hit on our hands, it still wasn't easy. We built out a whole suite of events and tours and rebuilt the membership site. With our customers visiting us every day, we never had to leave the office to learn their challenges and frustrations. Being at Zappos was like a customer lab where we could study our market in real time. At first, this was quite scary. Who are we to tell these Fortune 500 companies what to do? But we found that offering our stories, our questions, and our reflections helped them solve it themselves. And when they pioneered their own solutions, we could then share those stories with new customers. As our guests grew in number, so did our team, which begged the next question. How do we start to develop our team? Perhaps the greatest challenge was developing the team to execute our idea. We were turning a simple business idea into a multi-million dollar company, and that meant we had to grow fast. As a company within Zappos, we hired almost entirely from within, and no one, including me, had ever done what we were doing before. But we kept hiring people who loved core value number six, pursue growth and learning. We turned customer service agents into speakers, writers, planners, photographers, and video editors. Our operations person was a 21-year-old woman who could grasp systems faster than anyone. This is how I learned the power of empowerment. Those were work-hard, play-hard days. Meeting the demand for events had us working constantly, figuring it out as we went. Some would say making it up as we went. But we would also have fun. We would produce videos for our customers and then have a ball creating blooper reels. And we would joke around a lot as we grew. I was scared to leave sometimes because I would often come back to see my desk pranked. We had plenty of conflicts and differences of opinion to deal with, and it felt like a graduate course in leadership to keep the team happy while maintaining our double-digit growth rate. As we developed the team, we began to realize how our differences drove creativity and innovation, but we also had to learn how to deal with conflict and a variety of communication styles. It was like a leadership boot camp. Having this direct experience with a growing, changing, and challenging culture full of diverse ideas and opinions was my best education. This is what I have to offer you in this book. As I began to travel, speak, and consult with more companies, I found patterns in both the problems and the solutions. And as I started to repeat myself, I knew I had to get this information out in a way that could help people beyond my own ability to visit. Culture is such a big topic that people don't know where to start. They want a guide, a step-by-step plan, a blueprint. What you're holding in your hands is a result of that need. The Culture Blueprint is the compilation of all I learned as a result of studying the Zappos culture for three years and learning how to share their mystique with the world, teaching, coaching, and consulting for hundreds of companies facing the challenges of growth and culture change, and building a company within Zappos and directly learning through all those challenges sometimes very painfully. It is an honor and a privilege to share this with you now. You are more a part of the process than you know. I am independently publishing this version because my primary purpose is not to launch a bestseller. I want to provide information that works and gets you results. Then I want to hear from you about what worked. I will include your story in later versions to both acknowledge you and to help future readers. How to use this book. The Culture Blueprint enables you to start with a simple, vague notion of what you want and end with a culture system running so well that you could package it and leave the company, if you wanted to. But why leave after you've designed your own world? 
Since the book represents an entire system, you'll want to read all the way through it. That said, you can get value at any point. How you use this book will depend on the level of engagement that you're looking for at this time. Keep in mind that there are many ways you can experience a breakthrough with this book. It might be one small shift that does it for you. Check out the immediate wins section. You may be looking for a specific process or technique. See the culture toolkit section. You may want to align people to your vision. See the vision section. You may want to eliminate toxic parts of your culture. See the troubleshooting section. You might want a whole shift in mindset. See the principles of culture. Maybe this information is not directly for your use, but you teach these principles to someone else. Whether you want a full-scale culture shift or you're starting from scratch, I recommend reading the whole book. Then, after reading it once, you might just pick it up every now and then for a specific idea or as a reference. Get ready. Before we do, let's get one thing clear. Culture change is not a strategy or an initiative. This is a total mind shift. Once you truly experience it, you can't go back. It's like the matrix. And expect challenges, because that's what life is. It's all about how we react to the challenges. Do you ever hear of a soccer player whining that it's so annoying that there's a goalkeeper blocking their kicks? No. While there are clear rules, it's the obstacles that create the space for art. We are going to spend a lot of time on the psychology, tools, and foundations of culture. This may frustrate some, and if so, you can skip all of this and go straight to the implementation sections. However, if you really want to get culture at a deep level, please be my guest, dive in, and drink it all up. It's like mastering anything. Take a look at sports. All of Fame athletes do not have a particular trick or technique that created their greatness. If they did, it could easily be copied. Instead, it's their mindsets and habits, especially their practice time that really drives their greatness. The majority of their time is spent preparing off the field. A football game takes several hours to play, but the ball is only in motion for 12 minutes in an average game. Any ideas, plans, or plays may suddenly change when everything becomes active. In business, you have to constantly call an audible. When a football quarterback notices the defensive lineup, and changes the play by loudly voicing a new play change. It's mindset and habits that drive behavior. If you know how these work, you will be able to analyze any culture immediately. Without this knowledge, you will have to do everything by trial and error. Let's get into the principles so that you can skip years of experimentation. <laughs>